0: Somebody asked me a couple of weeks ago how much time I had spent at home lately, and what they meant was Pennsylvania, and it took me a minute to follow what they were talking about, because I haven't been really in Pennsylvania in a very long time, because Connecticut feels like home. And the last time I was in Pennsylvania, I was thinking about that sort of disconnect, that new home that I have. And, and at some point, I, I had these big blocks of time. I was in Philadelphia with Lynn, and she was working. and So I saw my mom and saw some friends, and you know did what you do when you go home. And at some point, I got in the car, and I drove out to the end of the train line to the tiny little town where I grew up, and drove around and looked at the house that I spent most of my childhood in, and uh, much to my surprise, things had really changed quite a lot. This little town, as I remember it, with you know big green spaces and big fields was no longer. It is massively built up. There's people and cars everywhere. Um, there are no green spaces really anymore. They're filled with condos and strip malls and neighborhoods. And um, as often happens, uh, the things that looked very big to me as a child are not so big anymore, right? including the house I grew up in. Still the same square footage, I'm sure, uh, but didn't quite loom over me the same way anymore. And what's true is that all the rest of the town had changed too. The people that I knew were gone, the, the pieces of that town that were part of my identity and part of my story had changed as well. And it was an interesting sort of experience, one that I think probably almost all of us can relate to. There are pieces of our story, pieces of our identity, memories, people, seasons, spaces that we loved, that were part of us. And when we go back to them, they're different. Sometimes not even there anymore. Sometimes we lose the touchstone of the place or the person itself and just have the the memory and the impact that it had on us. Change... It's not something we do well as human beings. It's something that we struggle with deeply. And when I think about the world around us, it's true even that if we stay in the same place, things around us change, right? It never really stops spinning. And so when I hear this text that I I just had to read from the gospel, it always kind of pushes some pretty serious buttons for me. We have Jesus talking about the temple being thrown down, The temple, which is a huge piece of the people of Israel's identity, who they are, how they believe they're in relationship with God and with each other. Not to mention it's really quite lovely. It's jeweled, and there are these big, great stones, and they're all standing on each other, and it's fairly majestic. And Jesus is talking to this crowd about the fact that it's going to all be thrown down one day. And the crowd says, well, can you tell us when that will be? And Jesus rattles off this really not comforting list of things that are going to happen. And admittedly, when I come to this text, I always sort of struggle with it because I look at this list and I think, Jesus, hasn't that already happened? For generations, haven't we seen nation rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom? Doesn't the earthly kingdom that we live in set itself over and against the kingdom of God all the time? Isn't it true that there are earthquakes and fires? Isn't it true that there are signs from heaven Isn't it true that we have this irregular cold and irregular heat from global warming, that the whole world around us is in sort of threat and change? So Jesus, how much more? (laughs) How much longer? In the text from Hebrew Scriptures this morning, the people of God have been living in exile for a very long time. A generation or two before, they were carried off from Jerusalem, by Babylon. And they lived in a foreign land, unable to worship at the temple, which was such a piece of their faith and such a piece of their identity. And really, they're unable to worship really at all, depending on the ruler of the day. And for generations, all they have wanted is to go home, to go back to Jerusalem the golden, as they they pictured it. They wrote songs. There are whole psalms about it about this deep desire to go home and be connected to each other and connected to God again. And this amazing thing has just happened in the text because God has sort of arranged for that to happen. Babylon has let them go back to Jerusalem, and they get there, and they're standing around the rubble of what was their home. It has literally all been thrown down. Long before Jesus, we're way, way back in the timeline here, But it has all been thrown down. And then, after it was destroyed, it's just been left. So we have generations of sort of decay, of weeds growing, of vines growing, of stones rubbing down. And they come home to what they think is going to be this beautiful city that they remember, this city on the hill, and all they have is rubble. And I want to invite you really to imagine the image for them of sort of standing around this rubble, because all of us can relate to what that feels like at least a little bit, if we've grieved for places and spaces and people and customs. And then, as they're standing around this rubble, Isaiah gives them this prophecy, this text that you heard first, this prophecy that is filled with symbolism and imagery, this prophecy that, gosh, how hard would that have been for them to believe? They're standing in the midst of the rubble of their home and nothing feels right. And Isaiah has the nerve in God's voice to say, I am creating a new heaven and a new earth. I'm I'm creating all these things that you should rejoice in, that you should be glad about. Wouldn't that fall on deaf ears for most of us? How hard it would be to connect to that story. How hard it would be to believe that's true when all you see is rubble. And still, that is the story of the people of Israel over and over again, which means that it's in part our story too, the falling away from God, the being invited back, the reconnecting, the reestablishing relationship, and believing the whole time that even as we make mistakes, God is working and building something and doing something really remarkable. I mean, did you listen to the language of that first text? That children won't be sick. That all of us, into our old age, get to live fulsome and healthy lives? That it's a place with no suffering, no cry of distress? If ever there was a concrete image of heaven in scripture, this surely could be one of them. A place where everybody lives in peace? We have all that, all that symbolism of the, the animals at the end, and the lion who eats straw instead of hunting, and the, the big scary animals that lay down with the soft, gentle animals. This is the image of God's renewal, God's kingdom. It will surprise you not in the least if you're following along that my favorite part in this text is the part about the tree, about the lives of God's people that would be like the days of a tree, long and strong and rooted, connected to the earth, part of the forest, part of the life of the whole place. This is filled with imagery that's important about what God will build, Sometimes when we don't see it, and sometimes even despite our best efforts, that nod at the serpent is a nod at the story of creation and the fact that as people we fall down and we make mistakes all the time. It's a nod at the human urge to sin and to to walk away from our relationships with God and with each other. And so the promise of this text is that God, from the beginning of time, has been moving this plan forward one step one sort of unfolding thing at a time. Even when we don't see it, even when we're not a part of it, it's still happening. And the invitation of Jesus is to believe that this is our story too, and that even when we fall away, the invitation is to come back and to be connected again. In fact, he comes into the world to graft us in to the tree, to make us part of the story of salvation to give us who weren't part of the covenant a way. And everywhere he goes while he's here, he builds a little bit of that kingdom that we hear about in this passage from Isaiah. Everywhere he goes, everyone he talks to, he honors people, he shelters people, he loves people, he feeds them, he heals them, he brings them in. And then when he's done doing that and setting the example, he kind of turns around to the guys behind him and expects them to do the same thing. And if they love him, then they do. And that whole movement of women and men start to build a little corner, a little foretaste, a little preview, a little glimpse of what the kingdom of God is like, of what it means for us to live together in peace and justice, what it means for us to share, what it means for us to be equal, what it means for us to have abundant life. And to do that, they have to Be willing to trade the world around them, the reality around them, the kingdom around them, for the kingdom they're building. They have to be willing to step out of the division that surrounds them, the world that is as it always is, full of distraction, full of pain, full of invitations to things that will take us away from God and from each other. And they have to choose to walk away from that and walk into abundant life. Or they would never have been able to build the movement that they built. The invitation of these texts, though (laughs) I understand if you're sitting there and saying, Marissa, the apocalypse is really not good news. That's fine, you're allowed. (laughs) The invitation of these texts is to look seriously at the rubble of the world around us the rubble of our own lives, the rubble of the things we've left behind, the rubble of the things we thought were important and we thought defined us, and instead be willing to trade them for something else. Be willing to trade them for this promise of God, this image of heaven, this image of the kingdom that isn't just supposed to happen randomly around us, by the way. Paul is very clear that we are supposed to help this morning, that you are not supposed to stand idly by, Paul is very clear in that letter to the Thessalonians that it is not okay for you to just sit there and hope that the kingdom will come, but instead, if you claim this, that you are going to be part of building it, part of doing the work, part of being able to look at the rubble and then build the kingdom out of it. How hard, though, it must have been for that group of people standing around the rubble of the temple to imagine that it would ever stand again. And yet it did. How hard it must have been for the group of people around Jesus who watched him die to believe that he would ever breathe again. And then he did. How hard it is for us when we grieve and we feel lost and we are distracted by the divisions of the world, when we forget that we belong to God and not to this place. And yet there is another way. If we go back to the gospel now, having looked at Isaiah and understood a little bit of of what God has wanted from the beginning of time, if we go back to the gospel, what Jesus is saying is actually not so scary. He does tell us not to be afraid. He also tells us that we're precious that not one hair on your head will be damaged, and that you will be given everything that you need. He also tells us not to be distracted by the things of the world that would lead us away, by the voices that are false, by the, the pieces of this life that are not helpful, and even by the identities that we thought were so important. Because the one that is really important is that we belong to God, and that we are invited To be part of this new kingdom. And not just part of it once it's there, but part of the building. So I invite you this morning to look at the rubble around you. The rubble in your own life, the rubble left behind, the things you love that are not there anymore. To remember that above all other things, you belong to God. And to remember that God is still moving and still working, and even out of that rubble will build something that is more interesting and more hopeful than you can imagine. And remember, too, that by virtue of your baptism, you are empowered to be part of that work, not just to let it happen to you, but to actually be part of building that kingdom for yourself and for others. Do not let the rubble distract you or take you away from the vision that God has for you or for us. Believe, even though it seems hard, that even when we are grieving and even when we aren't sure, that God has something good stored up for you, that you are precious and not a hair on your head will be hurt. And remember what Paul says, not to stand idly by, but to jump in and build this new kingdom with the people around you. Amen. Please stand as we affirm our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, Of all that is seen and unseen, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, Light from Light, True God from True God. Through